Hello, friends. I'm Brian Peart, and I want to welcome you to the Great Awareness Podcast, a podcast focused on helping Christians make sense of this world we are in. The goal is to encourage, but never at the expense of truth. We will take the truth found in Scripture and apply it to the real spiritual battles going on today. We will ignore preconceived beliefs, news media noise, and politicians' words, and look at actions, what is really going on. Then use the truth of Scripture to accurately discern the times and how we need to respond. Jesus said in John 8.32, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that is what we are going to attempt to do with each podcast. Get to the truth so we can live as we've been called. Today we continue our series on the five pillars of a great life with the second pillar, loving others. If you have not listened to the first pillar, please go back and listen first before listening to this one. The first pillar, loving God, is the cornerstone pillar, and things I mention in that podcast form the backdrop to this one. So listen to that one first, and then let's dive in. Loving others is easy if they love us. Even the pagans do that, as Jesus said. The rubber meets the road in loving others that are less than lovable. Annoying people, people who don't like you, people who disagree with you, this is where we have the opportunity to show them Jesus. And the time has never been more critical to do it. We've become a self-absorbed culture, and our phones and social media is driving this even deeper into the fabric of our society. Loving others requires us to step outside ourselves, and believe it or not, it leads to more happiness and joy. God created us with a peculiar trait. We love what we focus on. It was originally created in us so that we'd be focusing on God. And so the more we focus on God, the more we love God, and, and, and the more we fall in love with him. That's the design. Satan, however's track is to get us focused on anything else, whether it's money, another person, success, fame, etc. By doing that, he succeeds in putting an idol on the throne. If you focus on money, you grow to love it. If it becomes an idol, and soon you have the love of money becoming a deep root of evil in your life. We can create idols out of our careers, our significant others, anything. In so doing, the devil succeeds in taking something God wired for good, the fact that love grows around what we focus on, and gets us worshiping other things. That's why the first pillar, loving God, is so critical. If you focus first and foremost on him, you won't get trapped on creating idols of things that cannot fill you. But there's another interesting phenomenon in the way we are wired. Whatever we focus on, we love, with one exception, the self. The more we focus on ourselves, the more depressed we become. It's actually baked into our DNA. Think of a mirror. You walk by the mirror, you say, hey, all right, I look okay. But if you stop and you look closer in that mirror, the more you look, the more flaws you see. Okay? The more we focus on ourselves, the more things we see wrong with ourselves, the more depressed we get, the more self-loathing we have, and it leads to depression. When we focus on self, meeting our needs and filtering everything through the lens of I, or what's in it for me, or how is this going to affect me, you get more depressed. It's just the way we're wired. So the antidote to depression is serve others, love others, take the focus off of yourself. You can't be depressed serving the homeless in a soup kitchen. Just try it. I, I, I dare you. Um, you can't be depressed because you're seeing something that's far worse than what you actually are experiencing. Depression is exploding in America today, and it's exploding most in teens and senior citizens. Teens have always been self-absorbed and have always had high depression rates, but the iPhones and social media are driving this even deeper. And senior citizens are not, who are not serving are basically spending their days thinking about themselves, and they're getting hit with all this media, all this news, all this negative, and they're wondering how is this going to affect them, and they're spending all their time self-absorbed. 
Um, you've been there. You call your grandmother and ask her how things are. And <laughs> before she says anything, she gives you a list of all these ailments. Well, it's because she's not doing anything except looking at all the things that are wrong in, in her world or in her health or whatever. Void of children or useful work, they sit around and have to focus on themselves. And it does not lead to joy. The answer is serving, which is a key piece in loving others. Rotary has a saying, service above self. And it's not just a good motto, it's a good way of life. If you've never been involved in Rotary, I encourage you to check it out in whatever city you live in. There's usually a Rotary club, and it's usually some of the better people in that town that are that are actively successful business people, men and women that are, that are meeting together to give back. Um, so it's service above self, and it's not just a good motto, it's a good way of life. It leads to more happiness, and yes, more greatness. In Matthew 20, Verses 26 through 28, Jesus tells us one of the keys to greatness. This series is the five pillars to a great life. If you want greatness, listen to Jesus. Let me read Matthew 20, verse 26 through 28. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You want a great life? Serve others. One of the purest forms of loving others is to serve. It's love in action. Wrap, wake up each day <clears throat> and focus on serving others. First your spouse and kids before you go to work, then to work. Focus on serving your coworkers. Focus on serving and loving on your clients. Clients can tell when you're in there for just the buck or whether you're in there really care about them. Okay, keep the focus on others. Wake up expecting to be used each day to serve someone. It could be holding a door or listening to somebody's hurt, but be other-focused. This one thing will increase your happiness and joy. Remember, focus on self produces depression. Instead, seek each day to serve others, to treat others as better than yourselves, as Jesus taught. Listen to Jesus again in Luke 9:23. He says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. It's a daily deal. Most men in the spur of a moment would take a bullet for a wife or a child. God put a protector spirit in men. When they're wired right, that's a natural reflex reaction. In crunch time, it comes out. But will that same man put down that vice daily to love his wife? Will he deny his desires daily to meet hers? That's where the rubber meets the road, the daily sacrifice. That's where greatness lies. And each one of us can do just one day. So if you're denying yourself and focusing on others, who's taking care of you? God. God himself claims it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, look at how he feeds the sparrows and clothes the grass. How much more will he take care of you? So get out of the way. Let God work on you. You serve others. So loving others is putting others' needs above your, your own and serving them as Christ served us. But to truly follow the Lord's example, to love others the way he loves us, we must also extend grace. His grace and mercy is fresh every day. Every day, no matter how we slip up, he offers us grace and love. And we need to be equally grace-filled when dealing with others. None of us are perfect. Some just dress it up better, so have grace. You may feel passionately about abortion, for example, but that person who thinks differently is not a worse sinner than you. Okay, another catchphrase, Christian catchphrase, is love the sinner, hate the sin. We've all heard that. How about we love the sinner and hate our own sin, okay? For truly, none of us is perfect. We shouldn't judge anyone. In chapter 5 of Matthew, the famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus amped up the game. He said in Matthew 5.22 that if you call your brother a fool, you'll be in danger of hellfire. Then in Matthew 5.28, he goes so far to say, 
if we even lust after a woman with our eyes, we've committed adultery. So even our thoughts are sin. So if you're passionate about abortion and you know that it's a sin, but that person who disagrees with you who's pro-abortion, you criticize, condemn, and hate, think hateful thoughts towards them, you're just as guilty of sin. You're just as much of a sinner, if not worse, because they may not be saved and may not know. So pick an issue, any issue, politics, race. If your words and thoughts are angry, bitter, or hateful to that opposite side, you're just as guilty of sin. And worse, there's no glory to God in those arguments. And you won't change someone's mind anyway, uh, anymore if, they have a staunch, if they're staunch in their opinion. So leave it go. Focus on the logs in your own eyes before you dig out the splinters in, in their eyes. Holier-than-thou finger-pointing actually hinders the work of the gospel. Romans 14 lays this out beautiful, and I'm going to read from the message version of the Bible. Now, the message version of the Bible is a different type of version, and I know um, there are some hardcore people that think the only proper Bible is the original King James Version from 1611, and I'm, I'm just going to say that the Holy Spirit doesn't need a specific version of the Bible to move, okay? The Holy Spirit was moving at Pentecost way before King James ever was invented. The Holy Spirit can move now today, and the Holy Spirit can speak through other versions of the Bible. And this particular one, the message version, really is written in a in a prose almost that makes makes interesting makes things very interesting. So I'm gonna read Romans fourteen, which talks, I think, brilliantly about this grace that we need towards other people. Okay, from the message version. Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do, and don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department, remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. For instance, a person who has been around for a while might well be convinced that he can eat anything on the table, while another with a different background assume he should only be a vegetarian or eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. Or say one person thinks that some days should be set aside as holy and another thinks that each day is pretty much like any other. There are good reasons either way, so each person is free to follow the convictions of conscience. What's important in all of this is that if you keep a holy day holy, keep it for God's sake. If you eat meat, eat it to the glory of God and thank God for the prime rib. If you're a vegetarian, eat vegetables to the glory of God and thank God for the broccoli. None of us are permitted to insist on our way in these matters. It's God we are answerable to, all the way from life to death and everything in between, not each other. That's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again, so that he could be our master across the entire range of life and death and free us from the petty tyrannies of each other. So where does that leave you when you criticize a brother? Or where does that leave you when you condescend to a sister? I'd say it leaves you looking pretty silly or worse. Eventually, we're all going to end up kneeling side by side in the place of judgment facing God. Your critical and condescending ways aren't going to prove your, improve your position there one bit. Read it for yourself in Scripture. As I live and breathe, God says, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will tell the honest truth that I and only I am God. So mind your own business. You've got your hands full just taking care of your own life before God. Let's allow God deep into our hearts. Allow him to keep changing us from the inside while we extend love and grace and the gospel to those who are outside. That's how the early disciples rolled. You might say, but Brian, disagreements do happen. You can't be a wallflower. 
never have discussions on critical things or, nev- or nothing gets done. And you're right. And again, Scripture addresses this. In Acts 15, there's a big disagreement between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark. Barnabas wanted to take him on a missionary journey. Paul did not because he had left them once before. In the end, they agreed to disagree, and Barnabas went one way with John Mark, and Paul went a different way with Silas, and the gospel continued to spread. Later in 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul tells Timothy to bring John Mark, for he is useful. So they obviously reconciled at some point. And some of Paul's later letters speak affectionately about Barnabas as a fellow worker. I love that the Bible records the good and the bad. It's real. There's real people in here making real mistakes, and, and all of it we can learn from. We must recognize that disagreements will exist. But even in disagreements, we must try to act in love. I'm going to shout out here to, to uh, Tim Cash from The Cross, Loganville, my pastor. Some of these notes right here I'm about to share uh, I got from one of his sermons about, oh, a month or so ago. Understand, regarding differences, that differences do not have to stop love, okay? Don't write people off who disagree with you, okay? Don't write them off. Resist the urge to take sides. Stay focused on the gospel, okay? The church is multiple people with all sorts of different strengths and and everything working together, okay? Don't join one side and don't condemn one side. Don't allow secondary issues to hinder the gospel. The norm today is to have a strong opinion and then separate into groups hating the other side. We see it every day played out across America and across the globe. Whether it's over politics, abortion, race, whatever, this is all the work of the devil. Instead, we're to reach out in love. It's okay to disagree as long as it's not on the majors. Loving God and loving others. Listen, no one person is better than or worse than anyone else. We have to understand that, okay? We're all under God. And so we've got to watch the way we think, the way we talk, and how we address and how we love on other people. We've got to be focused on the majors and not let little things bother us. If someone says Jesus is not Lord, that's a discussion you don't compromise on because it's the heart of salvation, but I'm, not go- I'm going to discuss the gospel with love. I'm going to share what Jesus has done in my life. They can't argue that. But to separate brothers of, over minute aspects of Scripture is crazy. Different denominations and separation, that's not love. And we can disagree in love. I've got a friend, Robbie Stewart. He runs a ministry called Uplift Sports Ministry. He's an elite athletic trainer and and he has actually trained some people that are now in the NFL Hall of Fame. Um, he's a, and, and, and years ago, he got convicted to start a ministry where he uses his talents to train uh, middle and high school kids and, and reach them with the gospel. So what happens is people will sign up. They get, a, they, get, they get his elite training at a fraction of what he's really worth. And then he uses that. They have a two-hour session, but the first half hour is a Bible study, and then he works them out for an hour and a half. And so kids that aren't being taught the gospel, kids who aren't making it into church, he's using sports as a draw, and then the training as a draw, and then gets the Bible in front of him. And there's been all sorts of salvation decisions, et cetera. It's a wonderful ministry. I'm on the board, and I contribute to it. We're good friends. Now, he's a, a zealous believer. He digs into the scriptures just like I do, okay? Um, and we don't agree on everything, okay? We see, we see certain things like the pre-trib rapture differently, okay? But we respect each other, and we love each other, and iron sharpens iron. By him discussing what he sees and me discussing what I see, we both 
can grow. We both can see other other angles that maybe we didn't think about. I still don't agree with him on what he thinks, and he probably still doesn't agree with me on what I think in this one thing, but we agree on the big stuff, loving people, loving others, reaching these kids for the, uh, with the gospel of Christ. So we're on the same team. We've got to remember as Christians, we're all on the same team, man. Um, whatever denomination, we're all on the same team. So let's not um, take these little nuances and and use them as separation. Instead, let's respect each other, love each other. We can still be friends. That's Christian love and action, even in disagreements. We don't agree on something, but we're still good friends, and we're still working together to reach the lost. And that's Christian love and action, okay? And pray for others. They may not see you praying for them, but God does, and he approves. That, too, is love. Connecting our loved ones to God in prayer is powerful and can move mountains, and it's hard to hate someone when you are praying for them. The great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love others. You may say, okay, Brian, maybe we can agree to disagree and be loving in our differences. I, I, I can give you that, but what about people who hurt or attack me? Jesus addresses this too on the Sermon on the Mount, and he gives us a powerful glimpse into what love looks like. In Matthew 5, 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone wants to see you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, and do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's hard, okay? It's hard to return ugly with kindness, okay? I'm not going to lie. To not react in under in anger, but to respond in love, it's hard, but it's not impossible. And it gets easier the more time you spend loving God, the first pillar, the closer to his heart you will become. And the more you focus on loving others instead of yourselves, the easier it will become to turn the other cheek. And it's in your best interest to respond in love. In his book, The Right Fight, John Kennedy Vaughn gives a great picture of this with a fruit-bearing tree. So imagine a fruit-bearing tree. It's full of fruit as a picture of a truly living, a loving life, okay? Now, if you have a tree, you pick the fruit, you know, it's, let's say you pick all the fruit off of it in harvest time. The next year, it blooms back again, okay? And, and it has fruit all over again. That's because it's got good roots, okay? In this, in this tree analogy, the roots are love, the roots of love, he takes from the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. You know the passage, love is patient, love is kind, love suffers long, etc. From that, he, he grabs seven things that love is. And each one of these things is like roots under this tree. Um, they are patience, kindness, truthfulness, protects, love trusts, it hopes, it perseveres. Love never fails. So those seven things are roots under this tree. And as long as those roots are healthy, the tree will continue to bear fruit. Even if someone takes something away from you, as they do when they attack you, it's, when they do that, it's like taking your fruit. 
and and you can't put that fruit back. Once that fruit is taken, you can't put it back. But you can focus on the roots, the roots of love that built that fruit, that you know harvested that fruit in the first place, and the fruit will return, and you'll continue to stay fruitful. Anger or hurt when we have been wronged is not sin. God understand that it is having an emotion of hurt when someone hurts you, or of anger when they when they do something wrong to you. That's having that that emotion isn't wrong. It's when we act on it that it happens that it begins to define us. And if we react in anger and hate and try to get back at them, we're only hurting ourselves. You can't put the fruit back, but you can kill the root. Okay, you see, if someone harms you and takes your fruit, the fruit's gone. But if you respond in love, you respond with kindness, with truth, truthfulness, with patience, then fruit will grow back and you'll stay fruitful. But when you retaliate or respond with anger and hatred, you start killing the roots. If you continue, eventually you'll be a bare tree bearing no fruit because you've killed the roots of love with anger and hate. Turning the other cheek is actually the best strategy to protect yourself. You'll keep the roots of love strong in your life. You'll continue to bear much fruit. Say, but Brian, what if I respond in love and they continue to hurt me emotionally or physically? What do I do then? Man, that's a big topic, you know. Um, And it's really too big for a podcast format because every situation is different. So the details of, of each particular situation I can't really talk about. But I say that if you go to God, he will make it clear. Think of a traffic light. This is a great analogy that, that I learned recently. A traffic light has green, yellow, and red, right? Green is go, yellow is caution, red is stop. Green is go. If someone harms you and you respond with love and they stop what they're doing or even react favorably, ask for forgiveness, etc., that's a green light. Keep pouring love into that relationship, okay? That's what you hope for. Um, if, however, you're hurt or harmed and you respond in love, but they don't act favorably, maybe they stay angry or upset, they don't want to forgive or, or they don't want to ask for forgiveness, but they, stay, they, they stop harming you, but they're still angry, okay? For that, you have to have caution, okay? Have patience. That's where you, you love with patience. Be aware the person still has anger. Be, be cautious, but you stay patient. You keep praying for them. You keep being kind. You keep being kind and patient. You keep the roots of love strong in your life, okay? You, but you be cautious. Now, what if they hurt you? You turn the other cheek, you respond in love, and they keep hurting you. Whether it's emotionally or physically, they keep hurting you. Often these types of people will manipulate and almost make you think you're doing wrong. A great quote on manipulation, my pastor posted it on Facebook. It said, manipulation is when they blame you for your reaction to their disrespect. Let me repeat that. Manipulation is when they blame you for your reaction to their disrespect. That dog will hunt. Listen, if people that have gone down a, 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 a rabbit hole, okay, I'm going to explain in a minute why people get to this place, but when they get to this place where the roots of love are, are kind of gone, a lot of times they will spin the story back and, and start making you feel like you're the reason that they're harming you when actually they're harming you first. And, and they just spin the story and, it, and it's, it's, just, it's just damage all around. They'll twist it around and make it feel like it's your fault even though they did the hurtful thing in the first place. You have to understand something. People like this have bad 
roots, okay? Back to that tree analogy. Instead of the roots being the seven things love is, their roots are the eight things love or not. And this also can be found in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is not angry. Love is not rude, envious, prideful, unforgiving, selfish, boastful, or delighting in evil. That's the worst one right there, that they're so far down the road in this self-pity um, vein that they're in that they actually hurt you just to hurt you, just because they can. They take advantage of your love and they hurt you, okay? These eight rotten roots, they're grounded in fear. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear. And perfect love casts out fear, 1 John 4.18. If you act lovingly, you'll feed the roots of love and fear will leave. But if you feed these eight negative roots, you stay fearful and you'll bear no fruit. How does it happen? How does one end up in a place with bad roots? <sighs> There's all sorts of, of, of things I've, I've seen in, in people over my lifetime and, and in myself, things that, that, that I've had to grow past that God has helped me through, okay? Maybe something from your childhood that you covered up. You don't bring it into the light of God's healing, but you cover it up. You fake it till you make it and you act a different way. That could be something that's festering and growing bad roots. Money, many paths... Uh, there's many paths to it, but at some point, out of fear, they begin to feed the roots of anger, pride, envy. Maybe they were wronged, and instead of forgiving, they, they choose unforgiveness. Okay, That's one of the roots. Maybe they, they, they become selfish or prideful. Um, all of these things are things that, that are the opposite of love, and they're all based in fear. They can even look good on the outside for a time. If a tree is blossomed, but then the roots die... The tree may still look healthy on the outside, and you can pull all the fruit off, but it won't blossom the next year, okay, because the roots are dead. Um, so, so someone can even look like they're the right way, post the stuff on Facebook the right way and all this stuff, but really be harboring all these bad roots deep in their heart, okay? And when you get to that point, you have to, you have to, you have to stop. You have to be cautious. If they keep feeding the roots of fear, they're going down a rabbit hole, and that rabbit hole will lead to them harming everyone they love. So they've gotten so far that the roots are bad. They actually, you actually can't fix this, okay? The only one who can fix the deep roots of anger and hate is God. If it's at this point, you just, and you continue to stay in that relationship, you're allowing them to keep living off of your fruit. You're actually enabling them. You're keeping them from God. You're not helping them. You're not loving them. Love seeks to do what is best for the other person, even if it hurts yourself. Think about Jesus on the cross, right? He didn't want to do that. He didn't want to suffer all that pain. He begged the night before for God to take it away from him, but he, then he went and did it, okay? He didn't want to do it. It hurt him, but he did it anyway because it was what was best for us. And you may love that person. You don't want to leave, especially tough if it's a marriage, you know? Scripture talks about not divorcing. Divorce is bad. It hurts, and it hurts the children worst of all. But love does what is best for the other person. If the roots are bad, if they've gotten so far down the road that they're always hurting and continuing to hurt and continuing to abuse you, then those deep roots, you're not the fourth person of the Trinity. You can't fix this. They are living off of your good fruit and taking that from you and slowly killing your fruitfulness and you think you're loving them by staying with them by giving them a chance by having grace and continuing to suffer through it and you think you're being the the courageous one but actually you're keeping them from God because until they 
get to a point where they can't turn to you and they can't turn to anyone else. And then they finally have to turn to God and let God in. That's the only time they're going to start getting healing. So you're staying with them could be actually sabotaging them. It actually can be quite selfish. You have to stop that relationship and get out. Don't allow them to keep abusing you or they will be forced to turn to something else. And you just pray that that's God. Keep praying hard for that person, but stop enabling them and keeping them from healing. Stop keeping them from God. Most likely, it's fear that is holding you back from leaving anyway. You're afraid of what they'll say or do. You're afraid of the financial consequences, or you're afraid of what life will be like without them. Or, or you know, that fear, though, is not love. It's the opposite of love. These are all selfish reasons, you know. If you had a dream of, of a life and you're hoping and for a while you guys had it, but then it's gone and, and this person has descended and descended and it's gone down this rabbit hole to where they're, they're just manipulative and hurting and there is no love, there is no love roots, okay. It's all selfishness and bad roots. Then you're not, you're being selfish by staying in that relationship. Step out in faith and love and do what's best for that other person. Even though you're afraid, the Lord will protect you, helping them and saving yourself. Again, there's all sorts of scenarios. I can't address each one of them on a podcast, and this is a very touchy situation, okay? You need to seek God in your specific situation. Seek his wisdom. Don't just listen to what I share here. Go and seek his wisdom. He'll tell you whether it's green light, yellow light, or red light caution, and a red light stop situation. Seek God, trust his wisdom, and act in love. And love may require you to get out of the way so that the true source of healing, Jesus, can break through. And you, you just keep on loving others, keep the roots of love strong, and you'll bear much fruit. Loving others is not just a command of Jesus that we should try to follow out of duty. It comprises the best way to have a great life. In today's selfish and me-focused life, focusing on others, on loving others at work, at home, wherever you are, immediately sets you apart. This is the most self-obsessed time in history, driven by iPhones that put the world at our fingertips, but the person putting others first is different. People see it. They want to know that person. You stand out. It shows people Jesus without you saying a word. And best of all, if you spend your time loving on others instead of worrying about yourself, then who's looking after you? Jesus. And I believe God can do a better job of taking care of me than I can. It's just a better strategy all around. You're helping people. You're making a difference. You're garnering friends and goodwill. And it allows Jesus to take care of you. Let go and let God. Well, there you go. Focus on others, not yourself. And watch how well it works in, in this self-absorbed generation. It's a game changer. So wrapping it all up, it's a daily deal. And it looks like this. You wake up. You love on God. You pray. You listen. You get your marching orders. You let him work deep in your heart. Don't just save it for the morning time. Let God in your heart all day. But man, start that day with Jesus. Then head into your day loving on others. All you meet agreeable and the disagreeable. Love them all. Love God, love others. You do that every day. Just focus on that and let God handle the rest. And you can't help but have a great life. I want to uh, just close in prayer, which is I don't normally do, but I want to do that real now. So um, if you're listening, Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you for um, the things you've been teaching me, Lord, over these last few weeks and months and years. Lord, the the things that are that are I'm experiencing right in my own life, Lord, and, and some of these things are, are happening around me as we speak, and I just I just know it's uh, there's a lot of hurting people out there, Lord. There's a lot of people that are hurt. They're getting hurt, um, and there, there's a lot of wounds. Lord, I just pray that you will 
reach into their lives, Lord, everyone who's listening and the ones that aren't. Lord, all of your believers, I just, I just, I just pray that you will come in, heal their hurt, heal their deep wounds, let them open up to you and, and, um, and, and let you in to heal. Um, Lord, you started this process in me and, and, and for many years I had a deep, um, hurt that I, that I covered up and, and Lord, just by opening up to you, it's changed the game in my life and in everyone I touch. And, and Lord, I just pray that others will, will, will do that and, and open up, that they'll get involved in a, a God loving church. And, and, um, Lord, I just pray that your hand will be on them in this time. I thank you and praise you for all you do in our lives, Lord, in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Until next week, be blessed.